Hello, ski racing fans, and welcome to the American Downhillers podcast season two. This is our second season of sharing the world of speed with you. I'm Doug Lewis, and together with Alpine champ, world champ bronze medalist, AJ Kick, Hanencom winner, Darren Rolves, and Chamonix DH champion, Marco Sullivan. Our goal is to share with you the stories, facts, legends, and inside lines of World Cup downhill. And for our kickoff show, covering the opening men's downhill in Lake Louise in Canada, November 25, 26, 27, we have four-time Olympian, two-time Canadian national champion, and owner of three World Cup podiums, Crazy Canuck, Brian Stemmel. Yeah. Listen hey, Stem, where are you incredible. and how psyched are you for the start of the speed season? Oh, it's always fun talking ski racing and getting back into the swing of things. After a few cancellations, we'll be ready to go in Lake Louise. And uh, yeah, I can't wait. That's all right. You, AJ and I raced at the same time. And at that time, the crazy Canucks defined the downhill event. You came in, I think, at the air, end of that era. But describe what it was like to be a part of that team. Reed, Murray, Podborski, Erin, Brooker, Stemmel. What was it like? Yeah, I was right at the tail end. So Steve Podborski's last race in 1984 was my first race, my World Cup race. And I was scared as scared can be standing in that starting gate. But uh, it was a real thrill to know those guys and race them and call them friends. And uh, I remember I grew up in the east in Ontario. So I'm in Toronto now. I just grew up in Aurora and skied in Collingwood. And uh, I remember going to see a movie called The Dream Never Dies, and it was about the crazy Canucks. And uh, my friend Chaz Burkett reminds me all the time that when I walked out of that movie when I was 10 or 12 years old, that uh, I told him I wanted to be one of those guys one day. So uh, I turned out to be, and uh, it was a big thrill to get to know them and meet them and race a little with them. AJ, uh, your thoughts on, uh, you know, at the tail end of that era as well? Yeah, sure. And, uh, you know, I mean, the, the thing that I think all of us, remember and and um i was in high school when it happened but you know brooker just tumbling down the zealous at kidsville you know no one will ever forget that and if you wanted to be a downhiller and saw that you, you probably thought twice about it but um i do remember like probably the the most um thrilling thing for me was i was at a, a charity event in Vail, and i happened to be in a gondola and um and brooker was in there and podborski was in there and phil phil mayor was in there I think Cindy Nelson was in there. We were just all riding up the thing. And I just felt like I was 12 years old again, watching my, my, my ski racing heroes. And I, there I was in this gondola with them, like just trying to figure out how I got there, but they were all really awesome guys. And, um, you know, as, as the years went on and I started racing with you, Lou, and, and they were hanging around always so nice. And, and, um, and it was, they, you know, they were like neighbors, just like, you know, we are you know, Canada and U S neighbors and we're racing together growing up in Norams and things like that across the border um it, it just felt really familiar to, to really get to know those guys so it was uh, a lot of fun to be inspired by them too yeah I thought you know for me and this is a little bit of an error by the way I was at not in the starting gate but I was at the start when Brooker did the whole thing so that was a good 45 minute helicopter ride as we've all done waiting at the start of Kitzbühel but luckily I did not see it until I went on my run but growing up the Canadians the Americans because I guess we spoke English, we were tight. We were together. I remember celebrating Rob Boyd's victories at Val Gardena because a victory for the Canadian team was a victory for the American team. We were super tight. Um, and did it continue to be that way? Is it that way right now? What are your thoughts out there for that Canadian-American teamwork? 
Um, you know, I always love the Americans. You guys are always good fun and like to have a good time and and ski too and and race. And I remember watching Darren and seeing him one race morning going, man, that guy's eyes, like he wants to win way more than I do right now because I can see it in his eyes. I'm like, I'm not that motivated. Like, come on, is this guy a competitor or what? So we were always great friends and uh, it was always fun to hang out with everybody, even though I, I hated when AJ beat me for some reason. I don't know what that was about it, but uh, you know, he got a couple races snagged away from him that he should have won. Uh, so I was cheering for him on those days, but uh, generally, you know, great friends, great playing hockey together and playing any kind of sport together, especially skiing was, uh, was awesome. Yeah. Lou, uh, Stemmel, like uh, your crew of like Potavinsky, Thorburn, Kerry Mullen, Luke Souter, like those are the guys that I had a blast, you know, uh, you know, your teammates hanging out with. Um, I was kind of, I was on Rossi at the time and the protege underneath AJ here. And we had this uh, ski tech, Eddie uh, Wahlberger, and he was also teching for Potavinsky. So, you know, it got to be really, I guess, in a way, you know, friends, but uh, just, you know, somebody kind of really look as the, uh, someone that's setting the bar, right? And he was winning. He was on the podium. But I think the best story I have from uh, the Canadians was coming back from Nagano. It was a year before the Olympics, a test event. And Pod was on the podium and he had like just gallons of sake that they gave him. And we had the train ride from Nagano back to Tokyo. <laughs> I remember that train and ride. I, was on that train God, man. <laughs> just, I mean, it was so loose and on fire. And, you know, just no one throws down like the Canadians, man. You guys still like we're upholding that crazy Canuck. <laughs> crazy Canuck name to the highest standards. I remember, yeah, I remember the Swiss D. guys were at the front of that train car and they were so pissed off at how loud we were. Oh, <laughs> Except Didier so Kush good. was with us because I remember he dressed up in, in ski gear and skied straight down the aisle of the train. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. gear where they're pushing him from behind. It was complete comedy. Uh, that, but that was just like, you know, we, I think what Louis is touching on, like we definitely had a great relationship there um, in that era. And, and later in my career, it wasn't as strong. But like when I first made it, I was first trying to just do what I could to try and catch up to everybody and get in the mix. It was uh, so much fun training with you guys and hanging out and and uh, just causing havoc around the world. <laughs> For my part, like my career kind of went you know, right on, on the on the heels of you, Stem. When I remember your run, your run in Nagano, watching that and being like you know, super impressed and like looking up, like who is this guy? And then I made the U.S. team the next year, um, but our relationship with the Canadians always continued for sure. And some of my best memories were at Christmas time in Bormio. It was always us and the Canadians were there, just kind of homeless for Christmas. We'd have a big hockey game, and and we would just get crushed by you guys. But it was always good fun. Yeah, those are some of my greatest memories in Bormio, going out uh, Christmas Eve or whatever the night before, and having some laughs together, sharing some camaraderie when uh, her families aren't around at Christmas. So it was uh, nice to have uh, Americans and Canadians as a big family. Yeah, I figured the hard way, like we sucked. Americans sucked on ice. You guys kicked ass. But <laughs> I would get so just like sucked in that game, trying so hard. And two days later, I could hardly even move, right? I'm like going to Bormio for first training run. Just whooped. <laughs> I had no legs. I was just jello legs. So I had to step away and not play hockey anymore <laughs> my last couple of years just to save it. But um, I think my biggest connection with the Canadian team was actually our coach, 
Pete Bozinger, Bozo, you know, just he he meant a lot to our team. He brought a lot to the table. Um, he was a, a big reason uh, for my Lobberhorn win. You know, he came in, like woke me up. He's like, hey, D, I got to show you one more thing from Mitch Conte. You know, um, in this one section, I just found like this is the line you need to take tomorrow for race day. And, and we went over another half hour, you know, that night before I went to sleep. And, and I nailed it that day. And I was a big part of, of you know, skiing fast that, that, uh, for that race day. But he never gave me those kind of tips. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. He's the greatest, though. Yeah. He was, he was awesome. You know, just so the Canadians have definitely influenced us a lot as Americans, been great friends good times on the road, but, you know, on the coaching side as well, you know, having Bo Bozo there, he helped tremendously for our team. Right now, I'm not, I don't want to stir any controversy, but the Americans more aligned with the Norwegians Are the Canadians training with a team more often than not uh, to, you know, share, share responsibilities and, and work with each other, STEM? Yeah, a little bit. Uh, you know, you have to gauge yourself against the others while you're training down in South America, like they were in Portillo with the Austrians. And, um, you know, the Canadians have such a strong team now. They don't really need anybody else. It almost seems like, because they're all pushing each other. They're all great friends. They grew up skiing together. Most of them from Whistler at least skied there. And, uh, yeah, a good bunch of guys who are just on the way up. If you didn't notice that last year, you're missing something. Doug Lewis here. If you are a U12, U14, or U16, Elite Team Fitness Camps are for you. This is not your average fitness camp as we teach the vital skills of sports psychology and sports nutrition, along with tough, challenging workouts. You will leave camp with more power, strength, and agility, with a deeper understanding about nutrition, and with the mental skills of confidence, focus, and pushing limits, which will take you to the next level. Over our 30 years, we have coached Olympic champions, World Cup stars, NCAA champions, including US ski teamers, Michaela Schifrin, Lauren Masuga, Alice Merriweather, Jimmy Krupka, Grace Henderson, and Sammy Worthington. And finally, although we push our limits to the edge, we have a ton of fun. We are holding two week-long sessions this July at the Killington Mountain School. Find all the info at EliteTeam.com. Now from the team relationship on World Cup downhill throughout our careers to the personal relationship, I can, I can say for certain, we, we love to hate the Austrians. I mean, Klammer and Stock and Bernsberger are some of my best friends now, but boy, we love to hate them. And maybe it's because of Bill Johnson. I was at that table <laughs> when, when Klammer called him a nose picker and Johnson went up and they were face to face and it was almost blows. And I was freaked out because I was just this young kid seeing Johnson stand up face to face with Klammer. So we love to hate the Austrians, even though we kind of like them. Um, but I had my my buddies that were the Europeans, Pyramid Zerbergen, still uh, a friend to this day. And I met him on the podium at at Bormio, Mook Meyer, you know, I was, uh, I was the fastest guy on down uh, in Rossi for a while. And he was in Europe. He's about a foot and a half and 200 pounds uh, heavier than I am, but we were together because of Rossi. So we got, I still had that good relationship and Luke Alphon from France. So Zerbergen, Meyer, Alphon, still good friends to the day and share about some of your, your best friends still today who we hated in the starting gate, but we hugged and loved outside of the outside of the course. I think all three of those guys were everybody's friends. They're just such great guys, uh, you know, especially Luke. Luke loved playing hockey with us all the time. He 
he uh, you know would buy skates or have us buy skates and bring them over for him because he couldn't get any decent skates in France. So he was always everybody's good buddy and Mook's awesome. Um, but I was used to congregating around the guys who started around me, depending on where I was ranked in the world, the guys who start two or three in front of you, two or three behind you, you kind of grab a closer connection with because you spend more time with them. Um, but one of the guys for me was Armin Assinger. And after I fell in Kitzbühel 1989, I was in the hospital there for two and a half weeks in intensive care. And uh, some of the Americans came to visit me. And uh, even though they wouldn't allow many people in, um, they got a chance to do that. So that was really kind of them. But Armin Assinger fell in Bengen the week after and broke both his legs. And a lot like Max Franz uh, landed off a jump and you know had uh, uh, compound fractures of his of his tibs and fibs. And uh, he was in the same hospital in Innsbruck. And thankfully, they saved my life. They put him back together. Uh, he went on to ski race again. So did I. But we had a great connection there because he came to visit me one day in the hospital. Um, I, I knew he was there. Um, because people had told me, but I was pretty out of it. I was in a drug-induced coma for five days. But uh, after I recovered from that, Armin walked down with two crutches in his and his two casts and walked down and and spent some time with me. So he did that for a few days. He couldn't make it back up because it was so tiring for him. But uh, we used to write letters back and forth to each other to see how each other were doing, taking care of each other and looking after each other. And uh, still to this day, uh, we keep in touch and he's a good friend. Great story. Yeah, the hospital connection is an interesting one. I um, remember waking up after my ACL surgery at the Stedman Clinic in Vail, and um, and Stock and Vernsberger were there in my room, who had been long since retired when when this all happened to me. But they were uh, in Vail for the American Ski Classic, and those guys came to visit me. We we uh, you know we raced together a little bit. They were older, but um, I shared a podium with Stock at my first victory in, in uh, Val d'Isere. I actually beat him beat him out for that, that, that win. And, um, but those guys became good buddies and, and uh, it was uh, heartwarming to me that they came to visit, you know, guys like, like you said, Lou, that were, you know, easy for us to, to really not like because they always beat us and they had the sort of that mechanical way of just going about being so strong, but uh, you know, they got it as downhillers. They, they knew what it was like to, uh, you know, to get hurt and, and um, try to get back. So it was fun for me to get to know them on that level as well. So for me, it was Hans Canals. Austrian. Um, I remember riding the chair with him. He was like the first Austrian World Cup skier I ever rode the chair with, and with, he would actually talk to me. So my first year on World Cup, and and uh, we got to be pretty good friends. And I, you know, as Americans, it's tough. We're over there on the, you know, in Europe for a long time. We typically, you know, spend Christmas over there, and I really had nothing going on um, for Christmas, and besides being with some of the guys on the team, but. I wanted to change, you know, and Hans reached out after we raced Kronzkogora GS. And he's like, hey, come stay at my house. So I went to his place for like three days and in Schladming and, and uh, got to know his family. And it's just to this day, you know, I see him in Kitzbühel or Bangen. He's still doing the ORF commentating. He's taking those, those runs down the mountain with the POV. But uh, we go on the hill and stuck together and he, same in Beaver Creek. It's just it's a, it's a, it's been a long time, like great friendship, friendship. We just keep it going. And now my kids are friends with his. So no, it's cool. fun to see the next generation, you know, it's great. easy. It's not like Stemmel had to write letters to Armin Alsinger. Now it's just <laughs> FaceTiming and Instagram and all that. So it that was a while ago. Communication so much, so much easier these, you know, these days. And it's fun to see how, you know, just being so separated on the other sides of the world, 
at any time you can get in touch with somebody and, and say hi i definitely echo what all you guys are saying you know it's definitely it's a brotherhood out there and we're all kind of throwing it down every weekend and doing you know similar similar things and similar injuries and you kind of it just becomes tight out there and certain guys stand out among among the pack but uh it's always great camaraderie and and looking back now that we're all done racing certainly some of the highlights i think are the things you can look back on and the guys you shared that that uh bond with and it it still goes to this day for sure this week we are proud to welcome the adl ski club as a new supporter to this season's podcast the adl has members all over the country and are huge fans of the world cup and big supporters of the american downhillers their dream trips go to kitzbühel vengen the dolomites and japan for japao but this month they are supporting the american downhillers with an online auction to help raise money for the men's speed team coaches mentorship fund and they need your help the aim of the fund is to bring back experienced coaches and athletes to pass along their valuable insight, experience, and support to the new generation of coaches. This year's funds go to get Forrest Carey, Dane Spencer, and our own Marco Sullivan back coaching our best. For all information on supporting this fund, go to adlskiclub.com slash fundraiser. That's adlskiclub.com slash fundraiser. You can bet on all kinds of great U.S. ski team gear with race suits available from Steven Nyman, Jared Goldberg, and Tommy Ford, as well as official U.S. ski team clothing. All items are 100% tax deductible and will go exclusively to the fund. The ADL and Coach Scotty Venus, thank you for your support. So how about we switch it up? And Marcos, you start off, but was there any one like guy that was a rival to you that you just kind of like just bang heads with like every time you saw? <laughs> there was we used to um klaus kroll he used to be my nemesis <laughs> klaus and i were the same age 1980 birth year and he won world juniors uh downhill a couple times i think and we he ended up racing i think i when i retired i had the most downhill races for an american but he i think might have the most downhills of all time like he just raced he won the overall title once uh, or downhill title. Um, and I'd say for the most part of his career, he was a lot better than I was, but we always like, I always looked for him on the start list and we started with each other for a long time and, um, actually just saw him in Sauce Fay a couple of weeks ago and he was coaching or a couple of months ago, he was coaching a crew. Um, and I was there with a the little American downhiller crew and, um, you know, like we said, the bond goes on. We're talking about all the old stories. Stemmel, you're up. I didn't really have a hate on for anybody. No, I was <laughs> nice. I, I I'll, I'll take this one, Stemmel and AJ. We all hated Peter Mueller. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess. I mean, <laughs> when you're when when we're at Kitzbühel, uh, at the Londoner, there was always a special champagne bottle that I saved so I could spray it in his face as close as possible <laughs> and just blind him for an entire year. I think, you know, for me, I don't, I don't know that I had any like rivalries, but I had the, I had the bad fortune to, for my career to land right when Heinzer just had his stretch of four years in a row. And I could just never beat that guy. I mean, I did beat him once in a while, but he was so consistent. And, you know, I would say that, you know, my best years, 
in like 91, 92, 93, I just could not, I couldn't solve that guy, you know, for the most part, I'd have a few good races, but then I'd always have a couple of bad ones that would bounce me back into points. Um, and then, you know, towards the end of my career, Alfon, you know, he went, I think four years in a row winning the downhill title and won the overall once or twice. And same thing, like I was coming back after my injury and starting to, you know, find some form, but as a guy, I just couldn't get around. And, um, and uh, yeah, so maybe without those two guys, I might've, you know, had a better shot at the, at the downhill title, but, um, and then, you know, Patrick Ortlieb, you know, is another guy, just a couple of years there. So solid. And, um, and he was another easy guy to develop a rivalry with because he didn't give you much on, on, on inspection or whatever, you know, you'd want to get friendly with him, ride the lift with him, talk to him and he wouldn't give you a smile, man. You couldn't crack him. He'd just go out there and, and work you over and, and, uh, and <laughs> wasn't pretty to watch, but boy, he was fast. What's up with those Austrians, man? I mean, I was ruled by Herman Meyer, you know, just say, Hey Herman and never even get my, you know, my name repeated or, Never like, you know, just look away. You know, this guy was just in a way pretty disrespectful, you know, shake his hand when he, you'd uh, be up on the podium. If I beat him, he would just look away when he put his hand out. Just that kind of stuff. Always try to get my head and Kitzbühel, um, I was on the podium when he won. And then the next year I was inspecting and I basically probably felt like I was a contender, you know, and I might've been a threat. So he comes down my head, my head, my, my, I have my head down going over this section uh, below the Mousafale and just just crushes me with the wake of snow. It's like in my face, goggles, down my jacket. You know, I was like, what was up with that? He's like, bah, didn't see you. <laughs> like, yeah, right. <laughs> so, you know, I wasn't one to start stuff, but I didn't want to like just back down. So let him get all the way down by below Style Hong. He's on the road. John was like, get going. What are you doing? I'm like, I'm waiting for Herman to get down there a little ways. Yeah, <laughs> a little payback to give him. <laughs> so, you know just i think after that you know that time where i sprayed him back and he was just like shaking his head kind of pissed off and i'm like uh at that point i felt like he just felt that mutual respect respect in a way and he didn't really screw with me after that so you gotta you gotta step up to those bullies he was definitely a bully on the tour and and he dominated hard and it was just one is skiing ability but the in intimidation factor all right, Stan, we're going to move over to Lake Louise. Uh, I looked up your uh, uh, history along with mine, and uh, you only raced Lake Louise that one year in 1991. I think it was in March. What does the downhill race at Lake Louise mean to you personally and then maybe, you know, for the Canadians? Uh, that one meant a lot to me because uh, Dave Murray, Crazy Canuck, had just died of cancer. So he was 39, I believe, really young and uh young daughter, Julia, who went on to be a great ski cross racer. Um, so uh, we paid tribute to him with wearing a black armband around our arm. And uh, we'd gone to untraditional green for our suits that year for some odd reason. And uh, for that last race, uh, we, uh, we were going to wear our yellow suits, but then the coaches and, and Alpine Canada got wind of it because they uh, didn't want us to wear the green ones because the new sponsors on it. They didn't want us to wear the old ones with the old sponsors on it. So we wore the old ones anyway, the yellow ones paid tribute to them, put the armband around the sponsors. Off we went. So uh, it's always a real memorable place. And uh, I had a little homework too, Lou. And this is a reason why it's one of my favorite places. Just hang on a second. It's going to come in there because we tried this earlier. Little up there it is. There so that's me, Lake Louise. Woo! 
And that's uh, Sunset Jump. And uh, just one of the most beautiful places. Malcolm Carmichael, a great photographer from Banff, took that. So I have that up in my, uh, in my, uh, our family cottage. And then uh, this one also, whoops, no, wrong way. That one was Darren Thorburn. You mentioned him earlier. I remember. That's Sunset Jump. So we were training there and uh, we were going from the top and we were all wearing our jackets because we were so cold and uh, scared to go off this jump and Thor said screw it and took off his jacket and Malcolm got that shot as well as he went like massive 150 yards or something like way way up there one of the best shots ever and then I found this beauty you found that AJ <laughs> look at this AJ kit doing a daffy Oh boy. how's that, that, that was Lake Louise too buddy or what did you learn that AJ that was on the cover of the newspaper when I first saw it. Some somebody, it was a training run. I blew out and I was mad, so I threw a daffy off the jump. <laughs> <laughs> so, Lake Louise is memorable for lots of reasons, and um, yeah, it's going to be another great one up there. It's always freezing cold, but uh, it's good just to get some wind in your face there. It's I, I never really liked the downhill. It doesn't really have much flow. It's kind of go fast and jam on the brakes and some ice and go fast again. It wasn't really um my kind of style although i did love the jumps um but uh yeah it's always fun to race there that's for sure great memories there staying at the at the chateau which is like a castle right it's like your cinderella yeah this is going to be the last lake louise right they're yeah that's what they're talking about uh i'm sure they would you know love to have it there every year because it's so consistent hardly ever canceled except for last year um and just guaranteed snow and cold there. But tech races are big, man. You watch Killington and uh, the people show up for that. We have a great women's technical team now. Um, so I'm sure they're gonna show up in Mont Tremblant as well and uh, put on a good show there. The Eastern fans deserve it. They got, you know, Eric Gay is the winningest skier ever in Canada and nobody knows of them. They still think Steve Paborski or Nancy Green are the greatest and Eric Gay right from Mount Tremblant right there who had a lot to do with bringing a race to to his home club um, is well-deserved because uh, he's one of the greatest or the greatest Canadian racer ever. I know these guys talk about racing in Beaver Creek, um, how the, the energy is just there and they're psyched to be proud and, and do well on their home turf, but also a little extra nerves. What is that like for Canada, the Canadian team being at Lake Louise? Is there extra pressure or is it the energy that they feel? Uh, it's just time consuming. It's your time that uh, you have to really manage well because you know, there's so many more things to do rather than just watch video and play hockey and then go back up for your training run or your race and look at your split times, um, media, family, everything else, interviews on top of it. So it's just time consuming. You don't really have a great routine when uh, you get to your home races because there's a lot of demand. But, um, you know, they, they've done it before and they know what's up. Uh, they've they have a chance to uh, race at home for some of them. Jeffrey, Ken's kid, uh, you know, so they love the snow, love the hill and they have to go to put on a good show. Otherwise, uh, you know, it'll be the last time that they get a chance to do that. So uh, Canadians have won there before. Manny Osborne, Parody, John Cachero coaches them. We've done well there, but uh, not as of late. But those those young guys watch out this year. Sully, two podiums there. Yeah, my first ever podium. Actually, I was second there behind Jan Hudek another Canadian and uh then later in my career I was third on tied for third with Klaus Kroll my nemesis <laughs> oh, that's great 
Talk about the Americans going to Lake Louise. You know, it's before uh, Beaver Creek always. Do they like that course? Is it a good warm-up course? What do the Americans think about that? And I'll go to D Darren after that. I mean, I feel like for the North Americans in general, we all race Norams there. Um, it was a very comfortable hill. And like Stem mentioned, it's not maybe the most challenging hill or whatever. So it was a good opening for the World Cup. And we always felt at home there because we were close to home and we'd had a lot of time on the hill from Noram. So that was always my takeaway. That's going to be one of the most devastating thing is all the Noram races afterwards and those kids getting training that uh, have safety, uh, World Cup safety to standards for them there. And, you know, to get four or five or six or seven runs down that course is immeasurable. So uh, that's going to be really tough on the younger Noram kids. But yeah, the race organizers up there at Lake Louise did a phenomenal job, like just extending that time on that race hill, you know, for those younger like skiers. Uh, like Marco said, we had a lot of Noram races up there and uh, it was it was a test. I mean, you're and you're on like a World Cup prepped hill. And I think really there should be more of that, like across the board, like just any time uh, a, a venue hosts a World Cup, there should be training afterwards maybe some high level races either Europa cup or norams just to kind of like develop our entire next generation of skiers around the world um for me it was uh it was a good start start up to the season um i had i had a fifth and downhill a third and super g are my two best results there but i also had like really devastating races and um you know just by pushing too hard on wee waxy flats up there trying to get away with like a really tight line and paying the price there and it's a fairly easy section um but it's high speed and if you push the line there it's really costly and i did have a chance to catch up with travis get out here in copper and he's like uh super excited i mean it's the first race of the year you don't really know where anybody stands you do see some like results from you know the norwegians italians the germans and you know, americans here in copper from training days but it is a little different you have snow that's soft. You have snow that's like rock hard, icy. You know, just um, there's there's like really critical sections, but they're missing that big air stem. I mean, it's like that's I never had a chance to hit that big. What was it called the sunrise jump? Sunset, yeah. Sunset, and uh, I just feel like that's part of downhill, big big jumps, and so that's one thing. Like in my generation, that was wasn't even in the picture. And I, I do have a picture of a poster on my wall of Thorburn of that gnarly, gnarly area you just showed, <laughs> showed us all. But uh, that's something that I, I was always hoping to, to get a crack at, but never did. Last seven years, there have been seven different winners. Meyer, Dressen, Franz, Foyt, Svindal, Jansrud. And I was looking up uh, into their times digging it. Meyer was fifth until halfway down and then won it at the bottom. Uh, Dressen won it at the last section. Uh, Franz won it pretty much the whole way down. Foyts, he won it halfway. Svindal was fourth at the top, ended up winning. So it's one at the top, it's one in the middle, it's one on the bottom. Super interesting to me. AJ, what do you think is the most critical part of that course and why? Well, for sure that, you know, it's a gliding course. You've got to have fast skis. You've got to ski the gliding well. Um, but, you know, there's, like Stem said, the, the rhythm of that course is really difficult to find. Um, you know, you've got to be good letting the skis run straight. You've got to be good 
you know, cranking it through fishnet turn. You got to be good over the jumps and the, you know, the combos of, um, of the jumping where you're, you know, you're turning, you're jumping, you're landing, you're turning away. Now that's, that's such a, uh, a unique skill to downhill and it's not in every course, but if, but if you've got the ability to really carry that rhythm cleanly, um, then you can be really fast. Um, you know, I, and, you know, jumping back a little bit, I, I think that I I'd completely agree with the, um, what, what you guys are saying about the, the value of a, a World Cup venue for developing speed. Darren, you and I are here at Copper right now watching, you know, the best in the world train down this mountain um, and getting some, you know, younger generations, the ability to train on a track, no matter whether it's, you know, not the toughest race in the world, like Lake Louise is, or, you know, some, some other ones. Um, you know, Beaver Creek's obviously very technical, uh, but this one here at Copper is, is also, you know, not, may, not the most demanding, but it's, it's good for speed. Uh, there's some big jumps. And so, you know, watching the, uh, the World Cup guys train here, um, I think this is a good warm up for Lake Louise. Lake Louise resembles a lot of things that we see here in Copper. So it should be awful competitive up there um, next weekend. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, just think about what AJ said. You know, copper, the only real difference or the big difference, what I always felt going from copper to Lake Louise was the snow surface. I mean, Lake Louise, they put a lot of water on that hill. And especially in the years where, where there was low snow, I mean, it could get, get rattly and icy and pretty gnarly, even though the slope of the hill wasn't the, the most aggressive. It was still in contrast to the really smooth Colorado snow of copper. It was a definite wake up call um for that first world cup race so um i always felt like getting it rolling on the top flats there and wee waxy flat um was a big one and then you tried to maintain your speed over coach's corner through uh fishnet turn and then coming on to waterfall and sea turn those are the kind of next sections on the steep that you carry all your speed onto the flat i know the years that i did well i really nailed like the sea turn section and carried everything out onto that long flat you're in your tuck for about 25 seconds before the finish and that's a you have to nail that one to have any chance i think always like going off the steep pitch on the flat like my biggest goal is to try and have the fastest speed you know that was i needed that <laughs> yeah. right that was like how can i bring in the most heat on the flats and just you know you need to have that speed to carry the rest of the how far is that like 35 seconds from there to the finish or something but um it, that's i mean you're nuking it's it's really hot i mean high 80s you guys recall what the speed is there yeah, yeah 146 148 yeah that translates to yeah. so yeah i, I covered that race for nbc probably i mean 12 years a lot of Lindsey vaughn races and, and, a, and a bunch of the guys races and it always seemed like like you said darren if you don't come off of uh you, you know out of sea turn and and, and gun barrel with gun good barrel. speed it really, I mean, you know, from a TV perspective, you can't, it's hard as a commentator to say, oh, the race is over, but, you know, in your mind, you know, it is, you know, you, know, you really can tell if, if you don't nail those turns, you know, as much as you might have skied the top well, and if you don't nail those turns and carry a lot of speed onto the flats there, it's really, really tough to be fast at the That's end. That's tricky too. You take a lot of heat off uh, through gun barrel, then that one right footer, you come in around the corner, it's blind, you know, that, that, you know especially in Super G's, it seems like that gate is just, it's always hard to judge. You're trying to stay really low in that bully 
you know, good aerodynamics. You don't want to come up too, too tall, you know, to lose, uh, lose time, you know, or ex put extra drag on the, on the clock. But, um, that seemed to be kind of pretty tricky as well. Like really having to have your line dialed. Yeah, definitely. If you, if you pinch it off or, or go too direct over some of those rollers down there, you land and you've got to hit the edge really hard, you know, to recover the line. And that just dumps a ton of speeds. So yeah. You have to be smart, especially if you carry a lot of speed out of gun barrel, because that makes it just with all that speed, it's just extra important to be on a smart line that you can be really, really smooth and clean. Hey, Doug Lewis here. And I want to talk about the American Downhiller Speed Camp. American Downhiller is the leader in teaching young ski racers how to go fast and have fun. 2023 will mark the sixth annual American Downhiller Speed Skills Camp in Mammoth Mountain. Our speed camp is coached exclusively by current and former World Cup racers and coaches who are passionate about helping the next generation of athletes achieve their dreams. We specifically focus on aerodynamics, jumping technique, speed tactics, and the mental training required to safely navigate Super G and downhill race courses. If you are a ski racer who wants to go fast, check out our website, americandownhiller.com for all specific camp dates. Describe the skill set of the perfect Lake Louise downhill champion. Uh, for me, it's, I think it's a bigger guy. I've always, when I've stood there and watched, it just seems the bigger guys seem to win all the time. You, you can be a smaller guy and win in super G and that's fine. And you have to have great skills in super G obviously, but the bigger guy for me in downhill Creek, Meyer, Dominic, Paris, Kilday, the big strong guys who like Manny Osborne, Paradis, who won for Canada, Jan Hudetz, as you said earlier, uh, those guys just seem to be able to carry their weight through those sections, even though if they're a little scratchy and scrub some turns don't have a lot of speed coming out of them. Uh, they can usually pick it up on the flats. And uh, that's where it's usually one for me, the top and the bottom. For me, I think it's like Louise being the start of a new year. Every time it seems like there's a, a guy or two or three who just had a great summer and they come into the training runs and you see them like they're just standing really well and their skis are confident. Where last year I had a chance to be up there um, watching the race and and Matthias Meyer would just from the first training run looked like so on fire and he wasn't even that fast in the training runs but then he came on race day and just smoked everyone and uh, it was just like somebody you could see because he'd had a great summer and he was feeling strong and I feel like Lake Louise is kind of every year there's someone there who is just feeling it whether they're whether that's their skill set or not you know yeah I think just going back to skill sets like you have to have a really good feel for the snow. I mean, it's, it's, it's cold, it's dry, it's really aggressive. So a good touch, you can't over uh, work it. You can't be too aggressive, but have that like just instinctual, like feel for speed, you know, um, good touch, good aerodynamics, strong. And I think it's, uh, you know, you got to take chances in, in the right places. It's fun this time of year because you're not quite sure who those guys are that Marco just mentioned that had a phenomenal like prep season and they're just kind of rolling and until you're up there until, you know, the train runs start going down. So there's a number of guys that I'd say 10 guys that probably have a really good chance of winning. I think the single hardest part about that course is uh, fishnet through sea turn, you know, fishnet fall away sea turn. And yeah, like Marco said, someone that's had a good prep period, that's feeling good on their skis, really solid and well-balanced that can get in there and figure that little section out in training has the best chance to win. Um, for sure, size is important because it's a flat gliding type of a, a track. And, you know, 
it's a gravity sport, but man, you, you gotta be standing well on your skis and, and you gotta figure that, that little puzzle out uh, in training. Yeah, I'll just end with the fact that, I mean, maybe this isn't the skill set, but a veteran, maybe you can prove me wrong as a rookie won this thing, but a veteran, they come in there mentally confident, they know the course, and they they know enough to tweak and, and not over ski it and not go too crazy and, and, and feel their way down and, and, and figure out the puzzle, as AJ and Darren said, the puzzle of that course, depending on the year and, and the things, the veterans usually win. Um, so now we'll get into a little bit of uh, who will win. Let's think our top threes. Just a little bit of a da- uh, a little bit of a, a backup. I think Bodie is Bodie the only Americans won the downhill. Canadians we talked about. Austrians they've won it eight times, including last year with Meyer. Norwegians they've won it four times. Svindal and Jansrud. Swiss four times. Kush, Foitz, and even a couple of Italians, Paris and uh, Peter Phil. Um, so this is a little bit of a setup. The top 10 or the top um, cup standings from last year was Kilda, Foitz, Paris, Odermont, Meyer, Creekmeyer. And then, of course, we got to throw in the Americans, RCS, Bennett, Ganong. Uh, and let's talk about the, the Canadians, James Crawford, at least. And maybe, Stemmel, you can help us out with the, some of those young Canadians or the veteran Canadians. But... I've outlined it. My top three are going to be Foyts. He's going to win it again. He's going to steal it over Odermott. So two Swiss, and I'm putting RCS on the podium. So you don't have to maybe give me your top three, but let me hear what we're thinking. Who's All first? Right, start this off. <laughs> <laughs> Just before Stemmel can jump in there with his Canadians, I'm going to go with our American boys, with uh, Steve Nyman coming out back with the win. <laughs> Travis Ganong second and Bryce Bennett third. Wow. All right, Marco. Uh, Pushing all the chips to the middle of the table. All right, I'm up. All right. So it sounds good. So um, you know, I'm I'm here in Copper and I'm on the I'm on the track every day watching the guys go for fun. I'm watching the girls go because I'm working with a few of them. Um, but I'm just geeking out up here. And, uh, and I see, I'm seeing a lot of, of skiing. I'm seeing some good and I'm seeing some bad. Um, Odermott is skiing really well and it's fun to watch him. I think the, the, the jury's out a little bit on whether he can win it, but, but he seems to be uh, skiing very, very well. Um, Nils Hinterman is also looking good. He's got some, some good times. I know he had some good races in the spring last year. Um, I agree with RCS. So I've got RCS on the, in the top three. Um, and, uh, uh, man, to sprinkle it in there, I think Creekmeyer. Creekmeyer has impressed me a little bit here this this week as well, and uh, and he's always knocking on the door at Lake Louise. I think Creekmeyer too. Um, I'd say Creekmeyer, Paris, Foyts. Foyts just always seems to be in there. But yeah, don't count out the Canadians. Uh, Cam Alexander won the last race of the year in Kvitfell in Norway. Uh, Whistler kid, bigger guy. Uh, was out with a knee injury the last couple of years. Uh, Broderick Thompson, he really got the things rolling last year in Beaver Creek when he's second in the Super G and made the rest of the Canadians go, hey, you know what? I trained with this guy. I kick his ass all the time. Why can't I be there? And then sure enough, Jack Crawford wins the bronze at the Olympics. So um, Jack's maybe not the greatest hill for him, but uh, this guy's so hard and so competitive on himself. You never know. And um, and Brody Seeger, he's got a bit of a chance, too. He's one of the better technical skiers in the bunch. So um 
but the other three guys for sure. And RCS, I really like RCS. Uh, I want to see how he skis this year, how he comes back from injuries as well after having last year a good season under his belt. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's hard to go against all those predictions. And I'm so stoked to see the Canadians step it up. Cameron Alexander, like winning Capitfield, that was awesome. You know, like you say, he's big, he's strong. And, uh, yeah, he's going to be in there. I think you have the extra kind of like home crowd, you know, energy. And there is, is demanding, um, like you said, for any like, um, you know, home team. But like, hopefully he uses that energy to keep rolling. But, uh, you know, it's just my former ski tech, Tomos Burglar, he's got Kill Day. And he's got some rocket ships. Kill Day's been skiing really fast here in Copper. So I'm going to go with, with, um, with him. And then uh, Paris and Foyts for on the podium as well. For an American, uh, RCS is skiing fast, but if Kyle Nagamir can put it together, you know, he has a great chance. He's super strong. He's been doing well. He actually won um, a training run up against killed all the Norwegians and everything. But he did uh, have a crash the other day, and I'm not sure how he's – he hasn't been on snow the last couple of days. So that's kind of like just um, up in the air where he's at right now. But, you know, just – he's got speed. And I will have to give uh, – like like Marco was saying, I think the big nod to Travis Ganong. He's been on the podium. He's had a fourth and fifth. He's really stoked on his new ski tech who was working with RCS when he won Bormio. And he's saying that he's has the best feeling on skis right now that he's had like his whole career just with the touch, especially in kind of this like cold winter snow. So, you know, look out for Gadong as well. So before we sign off, any last reflections, thoughts, memories about the Lake Louise World Cups? Ice skating on, you know, behind the Chateau. I, I've been there one year where it was just like a sheet of glass, not a speck of snow on the lake and you could skate from one end to the next it was incredible like just like you know everybody out there like yeah stick a puck but just to be able to skate and be in that like that area it's the most beautiful place like of like all the stops you know the mountains around and and to be able to just like put on hockey skates and skate for like two miles and just on the most like smooth ice you've ever been on it, it's it was awesome and then you come back and there's fires and all kinds of stuff happened. People were hanging on the back of the, the, the uh, chateau. And it's just, it's a good winter environment, man. It's just, it's beautiful up there. Yeah, it's really chill, relaxed. And, and Lake Louise, I was there as well, Darren, when the, the lake had frozen over. And first time it happened in 45 years or something. And frozen with no snow, you can see the bottom. And you take a slap shot and you have to skate to the other <laughs> end of Lake Louise to get it. Uh, so, yeah, that was, that's a pretty special place. And always good fun to to be at home for sure i think for the europeans they like they love it because they're not like there's no hype around them they're not getting attacked by these like you know fans and media and i think it's it's really relaxing i actually dominic paris talking to him today he said that's one of the highlights for him is lake louise it's just you know a great you know chance to get things rolling on the downhill circuit but you know it's just um how relaxed and, and beautiful it is up there he just soaks it up so He's already got that in his head and that actually goes a long ways and he's going to have that. That's why I put him on the podium. Cause I think he's got some good, good feelings, you know, moving into Lake Louise here. Yeah. I was going to say, it's also the only uh, 
I think the only race of the year where all the racers were staying in the same hotel, you know, the Chateau, big buffet uh, meals for every meal. So it's a bit of a reunion and, you know, we're back for another year. Everyone's, the camaraderie is good. And yeah, the Americans are lucky. Sometimes you get a turkey in the, in the room next door on Thanksgiving. That doesn't always happen, <laughs> but um, yeah, chill vibes, like Darren said, and just a good, good, fun place to kick it off. Absolutely. Thanks for watching and listening to our American Downhill podcast. Uh, next week, our special guest will be the GOAT, Lindsey Vaughn, and we will get her thoughts on a course she won 18 times. For AJ, Darren, Marco, and our crazy Canuck, Brian Stemmel, thanks for listening. A special thanks to our sponsors, SkiRacing.com, ADLSkiClub.com, American Downhillers Camps and Clinics, and Elite Team Fitness Camps. If you'd like to sponsor these podcasts, contact Doug Lewis at info at AmericanDownhiller.com. Ski fast.